Welcome to the First Church Message of the Week podcast. Thanks for listening in. We are on the fourth message in our Courageous Faith Summer Sermon Series, focusing on the book of Acts and the courage it takes to be a Christ follower, using the example of the early church and their bold, courageous actions of faith. This week, we're talking about how the world is so divided. We categorize people into those we agree or disagree with, those who are right and who are wrong. This is not new in personal or corporate ways, but as people of faith, we have opportunities to be faithful in the midst of disagreement, to choose gentleness and listening over anger or division. In this message of the week from June 13th, Pastor Jen Tyler highlights this and shares what holy conferencing looked like in the book of Acts and what it can look like for us in today's world. Here is our first church message of the week. Friends, let's pray together, shall we? Faithful and loving God, we ask that as you listen for your children praying in this time, that you would open our ears as well, that we might hear your voice more clearly, that you would open our eyes, that we might see you more clearly, and our hearts, that we might love you more deeply, as you rid us from any and all distractions, so that all that we see and hear and know and feel and speak are of you. Amen. So if you've been here at all in the last couple of months, you probably realize by now that we are working our way through the book of Acts this month. Um, And if you haven't yet, I invite you to pick up There is a little yellow sheet on each of the tables in the back uh, that encourage you to be reading through the book of Acts with us over these couple of months. Um, This week, we are picking up our series on the book of Acts. We're doing four chapters a week, and I am going to share a little about the 15th chapter of the book of Acts today. Now, in short, the chapter... 15 in the book of Acts comes down to one thing. It is the story of a gathering of church leaders. Now, I want to pause here for a second because I love when this happens, and I have to point it out, is that I planned this sermon series several months ago, and I chose the text that we were going to share on and the order we would do them in, but I confess to you that I did not consult my calendar and what would be happening in those weeks. And so today, as we have a story about a church council that all the leaders went to a couple thousand years ago, uh, we are reading it this week as we have just returned from our annual church conference, and I love when that happens. Uh, Several of us, as I said before, from here at First Church, were down in Sioux Falls at our annual meeting of the Dakotas Conference. Now, if you don't know, United Methodists from across the Dakotas gather once a year. Uh, Well, we didn't get to gather in person last year, but we gathered this year for fellowship, for worship, and then to do some of the really, really exciting stuff like business, like passing our budget, right? Because we all love those sorts of things, too. Now, my favorite part of this annual gathering is the time that we get to take to connect to old friends and to new who are part of our family that we call United Methodists across the Dakotas. Um, That's my favorite part, but we kind of, it feels a little like a family reunion, and I love that, but does anybody else's family also come with some challenges? Yeah? Okay, good. Now, I could tell you on and I could go on and on about some of the things I love about this gathering, but in the spirit of transparency, uh, I have to admit there's a lot of stuff I don't love too, and some of it is that fun stuff that comes with meeting with family that we love, or as someone from the Floor of Annual Conference said, I really love you all, but sometimes it is hard to like you. 
Someone actually said that this week, by the way. No matter how important some of these business pieces are or how hard some of those tension pieces are, that doesn't make them really, uh, it doesn't make them less important. Uh, some of the hardest stuff that we deal with at this gathering, it was true this year as well, is some of the conflict and the tension because we're not going to always agree all the time. Some years more than others, we openly discuss that we are not all on the same page about some of the most important things facing our church in this time. And as you may or may not know, the United Methodist Church is preparing for some really big decisions uh, that will likely be made in the fall of 2022 now. It keeps getting pushed off. It was supposed to happen in May of 2020, but we all know how May of 2020 looked, right? And this conference is going to talk a lot about our official stance as the United Methodist Church on human sexuality. Now, every time this topic comes up at our meeting, and I know I can already see some of you stirring in your seats, it's uncomfortable, right? Even though most of us have a really strong stance on what we believe, we like to believe that I'm right, right? But it's hard to believe that I'm right without believing everyone else is wrong, isn't it? Now, every time this topic comes up at our meeting, my blood pressure and anxiety jump maybe like yours have. Not because I'm afraid of healthy conflict or discussion. I think those are good for us. I actually think that we'd be better off if we talked about hard things more often. But I don't like what it does to us. I don't like how we treat one another when we disagree. I don't like how we quickly slip into using us and them language, how everyone has an opinion, and if you disagree, automatically people assume that means you're wrong. The truth is that there are a lot of people that I love and like that I want to be in relationship with who will never agree with me on this issue or many others. And so I get nervous when we talk about hot-button issues in public forums, because I worry that if even for a moment we'll stop treating one another like the beloved, faithful children of God that we are. I worry that we'll get so caught up in issues that we forget we're not talking about issues, we're talking about human lives. Now, I named this today in part because it's all fresh. We just got back. I've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks as I geared up and prepared for our meeting this week. And I thought I had to name it because, like I said, this text was planned several months ago today, and it's basically about exactly this. This text is about what we as United Methodists like to call holy conferencing. Now, holy conferencing is a term that maybe we overuse. It is a term that is used to describe what happens when we allow and invite God to show up in the midst of our toughest conversations reminding us that there is always a way, even where perhaps it started to feel like there could not be a way. This term, holy conferencing, describes what happens when we stop arguing or listening for the sake of trying to figure out what the next thing is that we're going to say. Anybody ever done that in an argument, right? In order, we stop doing those things in holy conferencing in order to truly listen with humble hearts, in order to better love and like our neighbors, especially those neighbors with whom we disagree, in order to live more fully into the kingdom of God, in order to more fully live into God's will for our lives and our church. 
This is a hard thing to do. Because the people of God, people of faith, have never been on one mind with anything. Tell me, does anybody here have even a friend or a spouse or a family member with whom you agree with on every single thing you've ever talked about? Of course not. That's why it's important to keep talking about tough stuff. After all, if we can't talk about difficult things, well, I tend to believe that we should especially be talking about difficult things in church because we should be modeling what our lives look like outside of the church too, right? So if we can't talk about difficult stuff here, then where can we? Because church should be a place where we are challenged, where we are able to grow, and where we are reminded above all else that God is with both us and our neighbors with whom we disagree. I believe this for us here today, and they believed this in the early church too. And that is why they gathered for this council at Jerusalem. You see, in case they weren't, well, in this case, they were not arguing about the same things that we are today, but it was no less contentious. Sandy talked about this in her time for young disciples, about how they were arguing about who was in and who was out based on some pretty specific rules that they had, and it was really contentious, really contentious. They were arguing over whether or not Gentile believers, which is code words for outsiders, If you're not a Jew, you're an outsider, right? So they, you hear that language? They can't be one of us unless they follow these strict rules first to get in. Now, if you were here last week, you'd have heard me talk about some of those rules that Peter, well, that he thought should be broken. This conference gathering in scripture is a gathering to decide whether or not Peter's right and what their way forward should be. And so it's with that kind of courageous faith that they intentionally gathered to talk about hard stuff that this early church gathered. And I'm going to read about this conference here from Acts chapter 15. I'm going to start in verse 6 and read on. It says, The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you, that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore... Why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. The whole assembly kept silence. And listen to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, My brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take from among them a people for his name. This agrees with the words of the prophets. Therefore, I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles 
who are turning to God. We shouldn't trouble them if they're turning to God. After much, much debate, we are told in verse 7 that Peter stood to speak and later Paul and Barnabas. And we are reminded that God has blessed the people we don't like and that we disagree with with the Spirit of God. And so then he wonders aloud. He says, if God has no, made no distinction between them and us, then are we testing God if we focus on the details of things that divide us rather than the things that unite us? Are we then creating false boundaries by creating categories of who's in and who's out, who's clean or unclean, who's them or who's us? Anybody hear how those very same questions could be asked of us here today too? Now, I know that's loaded, right? I ask this question faithfully, though, truly. And I think that to do that, we have to be reminded that we're not all just called to speak. I know, and it happened this week again, too. Sometimes when we talk about those conversations, some people sit in their seats and they just look at the ground because we're not going to engage, right? We have some of those among us. I'm not going to actually ask you to raise your hands, though. And then we have others who jumped up and wanted to speak at the mic and there was a line waiting because they were going to change the world by everything that they had to say, right? We know those two. Anybody ever been changed by something you heard in a microphone in that kind of setting? But sometimes the Spirit of God surprises us and we never know when that moment's going to be. And so to ask this question faithfully about where God might be leading us, this text reminds us that we first have to listen. We have to listen to one another, and we have to listen for the Spirit of God that leads us and guides us. Because if holy conferencing then as now is really about listening to each other, about doing that long enough and faithfully enough to live fully into God's will, even and perhaps especially when we're all convinced that our own way is God's way. It sounds really good, doesn't it, to be able to listen and just say, no, this is what God's showing us. But how do we know? How do we discern when that's happening? Wouldn't it be great if we had an easy answer to that? Believe me, if I had one, I would share it. But the truth is, holy work is never as easy as that. I think that God encourages us in small ways to continue doing this holy work, though. To continue doing this work by giving us small glimpses of the kingdom of God along the way. By giving us those little, indescribable, Holy Spirit-filled assurances that remind us that in all things, God is with us. God is leading us. God is looking down upon us, walking the journey with us as we seek to do God's will. Sometimes we're going to do it right, and a lot of times we get it really wrong, but God is with us through it all. And God wants to give us gifts like these, this moment that we see reflected in this passage. When the council at Jerusalem, we are told, moved from having what I imagine was a fiery hot debate. It tells us they were having much debate. And then all of a sudden, they moved to sitting in silence as Peter stood 
to passionately share about a vision that God had given him. They listen closely, it tells us. And moments like this remind me of a moment embedded on my mind of a different Methodist conference. I have to confess to you, if you don't know this about me, I've been to more Methodist conferences than well, then maybe any one person ever should. I'm a bit of a church nerd, if that surprises you, as a pastor. And five years ago, I went to what's called the Jurisdictional Conference of the United Methodist Church. Uh, This is a large regional gathering that before COVID came, it happened every four years. And there's a lot of stuff that we do at this conference. One of the big ones is that we elect our bishops at this conference every four years. And so I'm attending the 2016 Jurisdictional Conference, and I was one of the alternate voting delegates, so I was just sitting in the back watching. And I remember sitting in the back watching ballot after ballot after ballot, cast for the next bishop. We do a pretty, uh, our process of electing bishops is democracy in action, basically. And so we are just voting until we can get at least 60%. And I remember sitting in the back next to a colleague who leaned over to me and skeptically, you know that voice, he says to me, so before every ballot, somebody prays for God's will to be done through all of this democratic voting. Are we really doing that? Because how are we ever going to know if we are? Because at this point, you realize we've been there a few days and we were really tired of voting. And we'd heard from all the candidates and frankly, I mean, they were all great leaders and we were tired of hearing from them too. And as the eternal optimist who's asked this question, who is equally perhaps a little annoyed at the process and wishing that we were moving faster, I paused for a moment and thought about this question. How are we going to know if we're faithful to God? And I remember turning back to him and saying, well, maybe we just have to wait because sometimes you just know. And I didn't know what was coming. But sometimes you just know, right? I hope we've all had those moments. Sure enough, we cast another ballot, ballot 12 to be exact. Uh, We were trying to elect our final bishop. If we could get this one done, we were going to be like, we were out of there, right? Like it was time. And it looked like we were not even ever going to be close. I think the vote was, I don't remember exactly, something like 40, 40 and 20 random ones in between. It was never going to budge. They were, these candidates could not have more, uh, could not have been more different And we were pretty sure we were never going to go because why would anyone, like, step back? So we had these two candidates who stood out. Neither was making progress. We knew it was going to be several more rounds of voting. You can picture this, right? But that scenario was all set up when something finally changed. And I remember I was surprised to see one of those top two candidates stepped up to the microphone. And you could, like, hear, like, everyone kind of did that in the room, like, here we go. Because you know that feeling, right? Like, now what are they going to say? And then I remember being really surprised because as they stepped to the microphone, they asked the presiding bishop if they could have a moment to speak. And what followed literally took my breath away. Because you know how sometimes when someone speaks, you really can see a glimpse of God working in and through them? That's what happened in this moment. It wasn't just a glimpse, though. There was something in the entire room that changed. Because as he started to speak, there was this eloquence and sacredness and servitude of this man that really grew as he spoke. But what he said wasn't all the reasons that he should be bishop, and there were good reasons for it. 
But instead, he gave thanks to God for the way that this process had continued to shape and to mold him. And then this man, who very well could be our bishop here today, the final person we elected, by the way, is now our resident bishop. Instead, though, he used this moment to speak not to why he should be bishop, but why the woman he was running against should be. And he spoke about what an amazing leader and bishop she would be for our denomination. He spoke of her gifts and of her graces and of the ways that he could see God working in her life. And with that, he resigned and he asked that his own name be removed from the ballot. Handing her this nomination, it was impossible to miss But this is what the Spirit of God had led him to do, not for his own sake, not for her sake, but for the sake of God and God's church. Who was he in this moment to hinder the work of God? No matter how bad he may have wanted this thing, he knew that God's Spirit would always overcome and lead us, even when it means we have to step back in uncomfortable times. I remember that feeling as everyone in the moment that day rose to their feet in applause and thanksgiving for the grace and discernment and faithfulness of this man. For the ways that God had shown us that indeed God is with us. And I remember leaning back over to my colleague who was standing next to me as chills were covering our bodies. And I remember saying to him, that is how we will know that God is with us. We will know by our love. We will know by the grace that we extend to one another. And we will know by the ways we follow not our own wills or motivations or biases or stances on divisive issues, but by the ways that we continue to extend grace and love and trust to one another. Does that mean that we're all going to agree? Nope. Now, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I imagine the man who resigned his own nomination in that moment, I'm telling you, these two candidates couldn't have been more different. He probably didn't want her to be his bishop even. Because sometimes we love one another and see how God works in our lives, but it doesn't mean that it makes us comfortable or feel safe. We're not always going to be on the same page. We're not always going to want to be this graceful. But sometimes, well, sometimes the Spirit of God prompts us to lead anyway, to be faithful anyway, to allow ourselves to not be divided, to not let our moments of disagreement bring us to be worse for the wear, but instead to be faithful in this life that God is calling us to lead together. And this life in which we are invited to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit as we continue to discern and to worship and to pray and to stand united, even in the midst of disagreements. And that's something that we can only do if we first seek to be like the whole assembly at this Council of Jerusalem so many years ago. As it tells us in Acts 15, that in this moment, 
They chose to stop arguing, it says. And they chose to keep silence and to listen. To listen to those with whom they disagreed. To listen, perhaps, even more to those with whom we disagree than those with whom we agree. But above all else, to listen for the guidance of the Holy Spirit, of God's will, and of not our own. That it might be first done in our lives that it also could extend to our church, our community, and beyond. Friends, in our lives this and every day, may we have courageous faith enough to truly allow God's will to be done. Let us pray. Faithful God, we thank you for those times that you are with us and provide us comfort and peace. And we thank you for those times that you are with us when we feel anxious or afraid or unsure. In all times, in all places, oh God, may you help us to know that you are with us, leading us to faithfully do your will. In the name of Christ Jesus, your Son. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the First Church Message of the Week. To stay connected, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook. For more information on our church calendar, visit our website at watertownfirst.church. This has been the First Church Message of the Week.